Hi, we're going to spend some time in prayer. Do you remember that massive storm a couple of weeks ago where there was flash flooding in Parramatta? I just could not believe the storm and so I took some videos out of our living room window but just watching this rain just pouring down. And then some of you were at the volunteers night. It was amazing, such an amazing night. And at the end of it, there was this incredible blessing spoken over us out of Malachi about God's abundance and God's blessing just being poured out on us as a team, as a church. And I couldn't get this video out of my head. I went back and watched it a few times over the last week, just thinking about particularly one of the lines in the blessing that Paul was speaking over us, this idea that if we were so full of God's presence and so full of his spirit, everywhere we went, we would just slosh the blessings of God. And I just kept thinking about this rainstorm. And so I thought this morning that I would just like to pray along this theme of God pouring out on us. And if you're a bit of a visual person like me, you might actually like to pray with your eyes open and just watch that rain, just the pouring rain. If that is something that you really need or want in your life at the moment, you might like to watch that as a way of just embracing God's outpouring on all of us this morning. So let's pray. Father, as we come to this season in our church life, we're asking and seeking and knocking. Lord, we're asking not just for a trickle of your spirit. We are asking for an outpouring. We pray that you would pour out your love, your grace, your healing, your power. We ask that the incredible riches of your love would connect with those who are so in need. For those here in our church family who need healing, encouragement, guidance, answers from you. For those who have just come today feeling empty, feeling thirsty. Lord, would you pour your spirit on them and in them right now. Refresh them. Bring healing. Bring your grace. And for those in our community, people so deeply in need, really hurting, and those who don't know you. Lord, we would pray that we would be so full that we slosh, we overflow with your love and your blessings. Lord, as you pour out your spirit on us, may we be completely under your influence like branches dancing under a heavy rain. I pray that we would find ourselves doing the things that you do and saying the things that you say. And Lord, as you pour out your spirit on us, we pray that your grace would wash us clean, wash us of the things that are ugly and broken and messy in our lives, the mistakes that we've made, the things that we have known that are wrong but that we've done anyway. And also, Lord, the the damage that's been done when we've been hurt by people around us. Wash us clean. Sweep away the distractions, the clutter, the things that are not of you in our lives, that we might have fresh eyes to see what you are doing and the courage to join in. Father, we pray that our church would be like a river, a river that fills and fills and floods its banks and flows through our community, bringing life and love to all those we encounter. And Jesus, our living water, we pray in your name. Amen. For those who are visiting, I'm Cathy, I'm one of the pastors here. It's actually my delight to bring God's word to us today because I really sense that he has something for us. As we begin, I want to invite you to close your eyes. In your mind, if you can, I just want you to picture God the Father. And in your picture, where is he? What is he doing? What is the look on his face? Where are you in relation to him?
And what are you doing? Father, Son and Holy Spirit, we acknowledge and welcome your presence with us today. And Holy Spirit, we know it's your delight to take the truths of the Father and make them known to us. And the truths of Jesus and make them known to us. And so that's our prayer today. That you would be at work in our hearts, bringing that revelation of truth to us, making it personal to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Today we're continuing our series through Ask, Ask, Seek and Knock. Right across our church, we're committing ourselves to ask the Lord to transform lives. Those who don't yet know him as well as those who do, including ourselves. And so today we're coming to this middle phrase, seek. Seek the Father. And I want to deviate a little from where the study guide will take you this week. And I want to drill down into seeking the Father for ourselves. As I've been practicing ask so far in the groups that I'm committed to praying transformation with, I've recognized that seeking the Father for my own transformation kind of needs a little bit of time apart from the groups that I'm praying in. It needs some individual time with the Lord because transformation happens in the context of a deepening and personal relationship with him. And so whilst many of our ask prayers are going to be great to be able to pray in groups, can I also encourage you to have times through this ask year of also seeking the Father for yourself. So today I want us to consider what it could be that you are seeking the Father for when it comes to transformation. But before we get to the transformation piece, I sense the Lord first up just wanted to remind us of who the Heavenly Father is that we are seeking. Because our understanding and our perception of him so often gets tarred by past experiences and by just the perceptions that we have and, and acquire through living in a broken world. And so in this brokenness that we have, Jesus came, I think, with this incredible task, knowing the Father full well but trying to communicate to us what the Father is really like. And so in that place, he told a bunch of stories. And this is one of the stories that he told. Luke 15, 11, 32. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here am I, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, Bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. 
Meanwhile, the oldest son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard the music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Did you hear how insulting this younger son was to his father? It's almost like he comes to the father and he just says, well, you know, I know you're going to cark it one day, but I'm, quite frankly, I don't want to wait. I want your money now. And according to Jewish law, he was actually entitled to one third of his father's estate and he could do that while the father was still alive. But obviously, that's really highly unusual for someone to demand that. And it's not like you have a third of your entire wealth sitting in a cupboard for a rainy day. So he's probably having to sell livestock and sell off some land or liquidate some of his other assets in order to come up with the money. This was a costly and it was a harsh demand by the son. But the father, knowing that the thing that he really, really wanted was his son's love, knew in that moment that he could not force his son to love him. And so he gave him choice, and he allowed the son to have what he asked. Well, as we heard, immediately the son took the money and he ran, and again, this was highly unusual, because Jewish sons didn't tend to leave their families. They stayed with the family, they worked on the property, they, they helped run the father's estate, even after they were married. We think our kids hang around, they, these guys really, really hang around. <laughs> So for this son to gather everything that he had and leave made a really strong statement. I don't want to be part of this family anymore. And it broke his father's heart. Well, the son didn't fare so well in the distant country. He wasted all of his money on a party lifestyle. And just as the money ran out, a severe famine also hit the land. And so when famines come, jobs get scarce when you're an agricultural people. And so the son had to take whatever he could find, and it happened to be feeding pigs, which for a Jew was like lowest of low of all jobs. And finally, as he's feeding these pigs, he comes to his senses and he thinks, what am I doing here? And so with a humble and repentant heart, he decided to return home. So you have the picture of how rebellious, how insulting, how hurtful this son had been to his father, how stupid he'd been. His father had every right to disown his son, to write him off, to be bitter and angry, or to give the son a taste of his own medicine. Did you know that a similar story to this existed among the Jewish rabbis in Jesus' day? Only in the original story, when the son comes to his senses and comes home, the father in their story rejected him. It's like the father said, you know, you've made your bed, now lie in it. You've made the bad choices. You just have to live in the, the consequences of those choices now. Because that's what the father in the original story did. And it captured their concept of a legalistic God. You do something, you get what you deserve. 
So that's the ending that the hearers of this story were fully expecting Jesus was going to say. But Jesus caught them off guard because his picture of the Father was completely different. In Jesus' story, the Father's heart was broken when his son left. Every day while he was gone, the Father would gaze at the horizon, looking, longing, wondering, hoping that one day his son might return. And then one afternoon, he sees this bent-over figure kind of dragging himself along, and the father cranes his neck and squints his eyes and thinks, could it be? He thinks, no, that can't be my son, because my son always walked with a spring in his step, and he holds his head high, and he looks a bit closer. No, this guy's dressed in filthy rags. My, My son always dressed well. Then as he keeps looking, all of a sudden, in a moment, he realises, this is my son. And so he, he hitches up his... Re- Jesus actually says it like this. He says, while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran out to meet his son and he threw his arms around him and he kissed him. And the Greek verb there isn't a mwah kind of kiss. It means literally he smothered him in kisses. He kissed him all over. And keep in mind that back then, Jewish men, they wore long robes. And so in order for this father to have to run, he would have to hitch up his robes and race out there. And everything about that was so undignified for an older Jewish man. They didn't do that. But this father's excitement overran any sense of self-dignity that he had in that moment. He didn't wait for the son to reach him. He ran out to meet the son. And as he's smothering him in kisses, remember... The son has been working with smelly pigs, but the father doesn't care. All he cares about is that his son is finally home. When Jesus told this story, he gave us a picture of the relentless love of our heavenly father, that no matter what we do, our father will never stop loving us. If we turn our back on him and walk away, he won't store up his anger for when we return. One glimpse of a repentant heart and he'll come running to meet us. See, when we do things that put distance in our relationship with him, it breaks his heart. When we choose to turn our face from him and go our own way, he doesn't get out his big stick. He keeps his eyes fixed on the horizon, longing, hoping that one day we'll turn our faces back to him. Is that the kind of father that you pictured as we began this morning? One who is relentless in his love for you? Who more than anything wants you by his side? He loves you with a compassion and a relentlessness that is bigger than anything you will ever do. When we sin, we turn our backs to him, but he never turns his back to us all moves away from us. The son in this story knew that, or felt at least, that he was unworthy to even be called a son. But I love that the father commands the servants to to bring a robe to cover all of the son's filth, all of the son's decisions that he's made, all of his poverty, all gets covered by this robe. And the father puts a ring on the son's finger And sons often wore rings back then with the family seal engraved on them. And this son probably had a ring in the past. He probably pawned it off. 
the father brings a new ring. I wonder if he had it made especially hoping that this opportunity might happen. And he puts this ring on the son's finger as a symbol of saying, you are still part of our family. And he gets sandals and he puts sandals on the son's feet because only servants wore bare feet back then. His son was worth more than a servant. The father's actions in this story are a picture of full restoration of his son. Nothing, nothing would be held against him. He would be treated as if he never left, with all the dignity and all the honour of a son. Jesus wants us to know that we are sons and daughters with this kind of father. I just sense we need to pause and pray at this point. Let's do that. Holy Spirit, would you just come right now and just reveal to each of us personally what you need us to know. Father, I want to pray for any who are here who are making choices or living in a direction that is moving away from you. And also for any whose choices perhaps aren't that big shift away but that are subtle in turning our faces from you to pursue our own stuff. Father, we know that you notice And you love each one here so much that you grieve over us when we turn from you. I just sense the Lord wants us to know that the Father is longing for you. Would you turn around? Would you turn to him? And just as the son did in this story, would you confess any choices that you've been making or have made? And would you receive his love? Just right now. Father, I also want to pray for any who continue to feel guilt and shame for choices they've made in the past. You know, the Father's prayer is that you would know that you are forgiven and that forgiveness is so complete, that that robe, that ring, that those sandals are yours, that you are a fully loved son or daughter, fully restored. And for each of us right now, may we receive your love. Amen. But the story, as you know, doesn't finish with the rebellious son. There's also a good son, one who has done everything right. He was committed to his family. He'd worked faithfully for them. He'd he'd done everything the father had asked. He really was the complete opposite of his brother, except for one flaw that he shared in common with his brother. You see, when the older son discovered this homecoming party being thrown for his brother, his sense of injustice rose up and he refused to go in. And when the father went out to meet him, the good son poured out this torrent of bitter words, I've been slaving for you all these years and you have never thrown a party for me. I just want you to think about that word, slaving, slaving. What does that imply about how the son saw his relationship with his father? The flaw that the good son shared with his brother was that he also failed to recognise that this was a love relationship with his father. He wasn't a slave, he was a son. And although they'd chosen completely different paths, neither brother fully grasped the full extent of their father's love. But just like he'd done with his younger son, the father responds to the good son with the same reassurance and the same love. No matter which of the sons you identify with more, the Father loves you perfectly, relentlessly and compassionately. His greatest desire is you. To walk with you in the cool of the evening as he did with Adam and Eve at the beginning of creation. 
The Father wants us to seek him. And so as we're seeking God's transforming presence in our lives this year, first and foremost, we are seeking our Father for who he is. We are responding to his love for us and seeking a deeper relationship with him and transformation will be the fruit of that. And so as you pray this year, this seek part of the ask prayer, it might be helpful just to ask yourself the question of what you might need to seek in order to deepen your relationship with the Father. Coming out of the prodigal story, it may be that you need to seek a deeper comprehension of the Father's love for you. I know that was my story. I was 29 years old. I'd been a pastor for a number of years. I'd been to Bible college. I'd taught the love of God. I knew the concept, but I did not know the reality of the Father's love for me. I knew it as truth. I just didn't know it in here. And so everything about my faith in those first 29 years just seemed so dry and so filled with duty. I was running hard for God. I was serving him. But time alone with him, time in prayer or reading his word, it was such a a discipline that I was so, like, I just continually failed at. I was really, it was such a slog. And I was just becoming increasingly disillusioned with the whole church thing. I still remember the day so clearly where I cried out to God, I'm tired of striving. I'm tired of feeling dry and empty. I'm tired of feeling perpetually guilty about what I'm not doing. There must be more than this because if this is all there is, I don't think I'm going to go the distance. I prayed that I would know the love of God and I suspected the Holy Spirit might have something to do with it, so I prayed for him too. (laughs) And you know what? The Father didn't answer my prayer straight away. Over the next six months... He showed me areas of my life that I needed to turn over to him, including some people that I needed to forgive. He taught me how to seek him, how to worship him when I was alone. For those six months, prayer continued to be a slog, but I made this discipline that at least once a week I would do it. And in those times when I prayed, I just consistently prayed that I would know the love of the Father. And then one night, while I was just praying at home alone... It was like he whammied me with his love. I I find it very hard to put into words, but it was almost like he walked into the room and just wave upon wave of his love washed over me. And I can honestly say my life has never been the same since. I'm not suggesting that my story will be yours, but just that for some of us, if we are going to deepen relationship with the Father, then we may need to seek him to know the reality of his love. And sometimes that comes with the desperate cries of the heart. For others of us, it may be that we need to seek the Father, that we might be able to trust him. Perhaps to trust that he is good, because life has dealt us a difficult hand. Or to trust that he does answer prayer, because you carry disappointment in that area. Or to trust that he will never leave you, because your experience tells you to be wary Or to trust that he is faithful to his promises because your inner narratives say, yes, but he didn't, he doesn't for me. Trust is vital for a a relationship to grow deeper. And so as you seek the Father, your prayer might be to grow in trust, surrendering any distrust that you have or any doubt or anything else that he might bring to light in that journey. Perhaps for others of us, in order 
to deepen relationship with the Father, we might need to seek him for freedom. Freedom from an addiction to a particular sin. Freedom from shame for a sin cycle that we feel stuck in or shame for something that happened in the past that we still feel the weight of. Even freedom from false narratives. Those inner thoughts that accuse or condemn us or undermine who God says we are. And so seeking the Father might be an honest confession of those places where you feel stuck and asking for freedom. And again, can I just say from personal experience, freedom is possible. Or perhaps if we're going to deepen relationship with the Father, our prayer might be that we comprehend more deeply what it is to be a son or a daughter of God, to know what it is to fully belong, to belong to one who notices us who pursues us, who cares for us, who attends to us, who esteems you not for what you do, but simply for who you are. This ever-deepening relationship with the Father isn't something that we can just analyse and fix ourselves. It's this ongoing discovery and restoration as we are attentive to the one who truly knows us and who truly loves us and who desires that we increasingly become who he created us to be because he knows that as we do, we will be filled with deep peace and contentment and joy in his love. It is better than anything this world offers us. And it will be his love that keeps us coming back to him again and again. So as you ask this year, seek the Father, but not as self-improvement. Seek the one who loves you and who knows you and allow his spirit to show you those places that need freedom and restoration. We all have them. And it is the Father's delight when we bring them to him because we want to walk more deeply with him. Let's pray. Father, I, I just thank you so much for your incredible love for us. And Lord, for most of us, I suspect this is something we've heard multiple times, and yet there's always increasing depths and breadths and heights of your love, of knowing, of fully comprehending and laying hold of for ourselves. And so I just want to pray, Lord, that this year we would pursue our Heavenly Father, knowing his love for us and increasingly coming to that comprehension, that personal place of laying hold of for ourselves and trusting not only his love but the fullness of his character in our lives. I thank you, Father, that we don't have to strive to fix ourselves but that as we seek you, as we enjoy you, as we walk with you, you transform. Holy Spirit, come and fill each of us afresh today. And I pray that our hearts would resonate and well up with the things that you're saying and doing in us. And just with you and who you are. Amen. And just before we finish, I do, I do want to also add, just from personal experience... How significant prayer ministry has also been in some of my transformation stories. And so I just want to put the invitation out there that through this year, as you are seeking the Father, it may be that you encounter an area as you do that honest journey with yourself that you just go, I'm just not sure how to move forward in this. And I just say it's in those moments that prayer ministry 
is really helpful when two or three others come alongside and will pray into hear what's happening and pray into that place with us. And my experience has been that it actually brings things to life. It brings stuck places unstuck and it's super, super helpful. Sometimes it's not just one session. Sometimes it goes over a few different ones. But if you would like prayer ministry at any point, you're able to note that on a card or let one of the pastoral team know or um, speak with Elizabeth Gay, who's our prayer ministry coordinator, and she'll organise a time of prayer with you that's outside of a Sunday.